Right, so that says we're on. Uh, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Non-Me Podcast. This is episode 44. Uh, I'm Christian Smith, uh, having an away day in Solihull tonight. Uh, whereabouts are you, James? Uh, as ever, I am in the uh, soon-to-be new uh, baby girl's bedroom. Uh, once we get her out of our room, uh, in lovely, rainy Bracknell Barchard this evening. And just along the road, just a long little way along the M3, or is it the M4 Islands track? It's Rob Overfield here in um, in West London, and uh, thankfully the rain hasn't got here yet, so everything's good. So it seems really weird doing that uh, intro uh, without a, a background coming out live for us. It, it, um, it, it did kind of throw me a little bit there. Yeah, it? It, it, <laughs> just so used to the beats uh, coming on. Um, Interesting weekend for me. Uh, I've uh, been working in Motherwell, and then I came home for the weekend to watch a uh, 1-0 win uh, for us. We've uh, Trinity now have not had, not conceded a goal at home all season, and our midfield uh, star of Kieran Toner is the only person who've actually scored um, on the North Home. Oh, sorry, it's the now the Gainsborough Martin and Co Arena. Um, I did point out the arena is seats on all sides, and we don't have those yet. Um, so, what have you two been up to this weekend? Here was an interesting match down there at uh, the Hampton. Yeah, I mean, I've managed to uh, to make the trip across. Uh, little baby Evie was very kind in her, uh, her naps and feeds on Saturday, so I was able to make the trip down the uh, down the traffic-filled M3, and uh, was rewarded with seeing Hampton's first win of the season at the sixth time of asking uh, after five. Five fairly miserable defeats. Um, we finally managed to get a result against Lewis. Something had to give, really, because Lewis hadn't won either yet this season, although they had managed a couple of draws. Um, quite an entertaining game. Um, had a little bit of everything. We had a player sent off for, for two yellows. Um, we had a yet another penalty, which I think we've uh, in three of our four games at home this season, we've had a total of four penalties awarded. Um that was tucked away, only the second out of four that was tucked away. And then our left-back scored a, a brilliant header from a, a brilliant cross. Uh, Lewis pulled one back with a nice finish. And then it was a little bit back to the wall for 20 minutes with 10 men. And uh, then kind of all kicked off a little bit towards the end um, with four players booked in a in a 22-man, uh, shall we say, confrontation, I think, Rob. I think that's probably the best way to put it. It was it wasn't what it wasn't quite a fracas, but it was a bit more than a rumpus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much handbags pushing and shoving. You know, you've seen them it, happen. It was one of those sort of games, I think, wasn't it? You know, you could you could tell that something was uh, was yeah. just bubbling under a little bit. Pretty dismal start for both teams to the season. I think you know you just in the heat of the moment you just get desperate to get those points on the board, don't you? And you know, the longer you go without a win, the harder it is to get one. So with both teams looking for that win. And, of course, it was in the last couple of minutes and Lewis were looking for an equaliser to make it 2-2. It's, uh, yeah, just just kind of bubbled over. As I say, four players got booked in that aftermath. Another a, a, another Lewis player got booked after the final whistle for mouthing off to the ref. I think it was, uh, I think it was about eight bookings in total, um, including the two to, to our right-back that was sent off. But, mm. yeah, very enjoyable. Um you can't beat a, a good dramatic game on a Saturday afternoon, and uh, especially when you get the points. So yes, all good. No, it uh, does sound rather interesting down there compared to uh, the match uh, 
I watched, we thought it was going to another nil-nil, uh, but uh, we managed to uh, sneak a goal uh, for about 70 minutes. And uh, and say so it's made made it nice. It's still tight everywhere uh, at the top. We've only had the first month, so it's not too much. And with the end of the first month comes the transfer deadline day, which uh, for anybody at uh, Conference North, South, and below, it doesn't mean too much to because you can still do everything you need to do. But I know the conference, uh, Vanarama Conference themselves, and all the league clubs, they uh, have to uh, all their finish all their dealings by the uh, 11 o'clock tonight and uh, the big story for as far as I'm concerned is um, Marcus Madison who's had a cracking season last year at uh, Peterborough has moved sorry has moved to Peterborough from Gateshead after a cracking season for a six-figure sum which uh, is a good news story for once for the non-league teams at our level yeah I mean we could have talked about other events that we're recording on a Monday this week um, due to Due to work and family commitments, um, it's, uh, so we have got uh, the uh, the Hereford thing to talk about in a little bit. Could easily have been the uh, the top story, couldn't it, this week again? But quite frankly, I think we're all sick of talking about them. Um, so yeah, it was absolutely fantastic to be able to talk about uh, another good news story. And again, it's Peterborough, isn't it? It's always Peterborough that they are they are the team that lead the way in bringing talent through from non-league. Uh, you know, the, you rattle off players, can't you? Craig McHale Smith, um, George Boyd, who I think uh, today has just left uh, Rob's team Hull. Um, yep. Dwight Gale as well, who's uh, impressing at Crystal Palace, and they just they just know what they're doing. They they, um, the, you know, they just must have such a good scouting network that goes around the uh, the non-league, as you say, Chris, and a six-figure sum, which you know won't be a won't be a record, obviously, because that would that would have been Jamie Vardy's move. Um, from Fleetwood a little while ago, but it's a it's a fantastic um, fantastic achievement. Uh, Marcus Madison's twenty years old, I believe. He's um, yeah. He was already, I think, third or fourth top scorer in the conference. You know, he'd already netted four times this season. A um, couple of caps for England C, which you know is always a good indication of how well a player's doing. Um, not it's it, some reports say he's a forward, some say he's a winger. So I'm, I'm assuming he's a he's a little bit of both. Um, I have to admit I don't know an awful lot about him, um, but he's he certainly uh, certainly seems to have impressed. And um, he's, a, he's you know he's an ex Newcastle trainee, um, played quite a lot last season, got into double figures. So yeah, it's um, it's a fantastic move, and I'm sure it's a name that we'll be seeing linked. I don't think he'll move on quite as quickly as Dwight Gale did. I think he did it in about six months, didn't he, going on to Palace from uh, something something ridiculous like that. But, yeah, again, Peterborough, what an advert for for bringing players yeah. into into the Football League from the non-league game. Mm-hmm. I know I they mean, wanted Joe Lolly as well. Last, Sorry, Rob, I know they wanted Joe Lolly last January when when my home team, Huddersfield, managed to beat them to get him. But, you know, they were, they were very much in the running for him as well. Um, but yeah, long may it continue because it gives hope to um, any kid. Like say Marcus was released by Newcastle, and um, a lot of players could let their head drop and drop out of the game. But just shows if you you know if you're willing to drop down and work hard, then you can get back into the proper you know, into the professional game. Yeah, I mean it's 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 always surprises me that it always seems to be the same few clubs that seem to have the finger on what's happening. Um, in the non-league game, and uh, as, as James has rightly said, it's very often Peterborough. So they're ob- as a club, they're obviously willing and just able to 
take a bit of a chance with with the signings because you know, they've obviously got a good setup. Otherwise, they wouldn't be producing the players they are, and it wouldn't be the first time that you know, as we know, Peterborough have gone to quite you know have gone to quite a few non-league teams and found good players and developed them and moved them on. I mean, um, not that long ago, Peterborough were even involved in. Well, they were even rumoured to be after a Hampton player a couple of years, two or three years ago. Uh, unfortunately, he ended up at, I think it was Portsmouth, and has ended yeah, up really not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, James knows who I mean. <laughs> we um, yeah, we won't name because, um, unfortunately, the lad's a lovely lad, but we don't think he's been advised in the proper manner. Um, yeah, so Peterborough generally always there or thereabouts. If there's a decent player coming through, Chances are Peterborough already know about them and have already been watching them. So it's a case of you've got to get up very early to beat Peterborough when it comes to picking up players from the non-league game. Yeah. I mean, Marcus Madison, I mean, he's done everything right. You know, OK, Newcastle said he couldn't, you know, he couldn't make it at that level. He stayed in the area. He's probably a local lad and um, worked his way back with Gateshead. And um, there's no question about it. If he can produce this kind of form now... Um, when he gets to a an even more organised environment like Peterborough than over at Gateshead, there's no reason why, you know, in two or three years' time, we will probably could hear him about him at a championship club. Yeah, I mean... You know, I, that's I, what I could see happening. I think the common denominator, because obviously all through the, um, the history of bringing non-league players through, it's been different managers. I think the common denominator, denominator has to be Barry Fry, doesn't it? The director of football, you know, the, the legend... Yeah. The, the legend and life like yeah. life-size personality that is Barry Fry. You know, he's <laughs> just looking on his Wikipedia page, and he, you know, he's played for a fair few non-league clubs, and as well as managed quite a lot: Dunstable, Hillingdon, you know, Bedford, Barnet. So he's he's obviously got a you know a wealth of experience, not just of the lower league from his time at Southend and Birmingham and Peterborough, but of of, of non-league as well. So he, he obviously knows the talents there, and. I think he's the yeah. one that needs to take the majority of the credit for for finding, you know, mm. for mining this rich SEMA talent that we we all know is down there. And mm. as you know, as Rob says, you know, more clubs need to start doing it because Peterborough will be running their, you know, this will be keeping them afloat, buying these players and selling them on. I mean, you mm. know, because you sell them on, you put an, a sell-on clause in there, and mm. you know, and it, as and for a non-league club and a non-league player, if if you rumour to have a Peterborough scout in the in the crowd you know they're actually there to be serious bidders if if you yeah. play well and impress them they're not just there watching a game you know they they are actually serious about bringing players through and mm. yeah it's fantastic and long may it continue i mean with this six figure sum that gateshead have have got for this from from peterborough that'll only be the first installment when you think about it because um according to the um no, according to the non-league paper, um, there is actually a 20% sell-on clause in that. So, if Madison proves to be um, the player that Peterborough think he is and is capable of going to high levels, I mean, for a, for a forward who scores goals, um, there would be a championship club willing to take a chance on a seven-figure sum. Absolutely. So, whatever happens in the future, if it turns out that Peterborough develop Madison and he becomes, you know, a championship level player. There's another payday for Gateshead. Yeah. And, you... you know, a, a, club, a club at that level can't turn down money and they ain't going to turn down this one. No, I mean, you just, like I say, you just have to look at someone like Jamie Vardy, don't you? You know, he, he, was, at yeah, Halif- he was at Halifax. I think they took a chance on him. He was only there 
I don't think he was even there a season. It might have only been a few months. And then Fleetwood took him on and he scored goals at the uh, high level again. Yeah. And then he ends mm-hmm. up at Leicester for, for a million quid. And he's, yeah. you know, and he's doing well there. He's holding his own. So, yeah. you know, so, like, like we said, the, ta- the talent is there. Um, yeah. You know, it's about time the penny dropped with a lot more clubs. I'm hoping, like I said earlier, you know, Huddersfield managed to get Joe Lolly. And I'm hoping that, they, that they're one of these clubs that... that so it starts looking a bit a bit more up and down there because the, the talent is there. I know as far as developing players coming through, Crew Crew always had the name of bringing young kids through their academy system, or as it was then, you know. And um, and now it seems like Peterborough have got a slightly different tag of, you know, being able those being able to dip into non-league. Um, you know, it's it's clubs like this that are bringing players on that can improve the game at the higher levels. Because you got look, you got lads. Very often, never travelled that far. They've got the ability. They go out there. They show what they can do. They end up playing in the championship, possibly in the Premier League if they're that good. And it shows that the talent is here in England, right all the way down to non-league level. Which very often we choose not to take it. You know, the clubs choose not to take a chance on it. Well, there's a player we know as well, isn't there, Rob, um, from Dulwich, um, Ostuma. Where did he end up going? Was he Peterborough as well? I think it probably was. Yeah, I've got a feeling it was, you know, in the summer. Yeah, yeah, one we, we saw him at Dulwich Hamlet, Erhunos Tumor, a, a, mm, a speedy, tricky little number 10, and he, he was superb. He gave us nightmares that day. And uh, <laughs> but he's another one that's made the step up. And, you know, I don't know if he's been playing this season or not, but, you know, it's, an, it's another example. It's just, yeah. it's just I mean... I mean, it's. I mean, it's got. So yeah, it it is Peter. But I'm just checking. He he signed in June, you know. Um. So, you know, it's just a case of a lot of clubs don't want to take that chance, but for the clubs that do, yeah, the one or two, you know, might might flatter to deceive, and you know, they've, you know, they fall by the wayside again. But for those who do get picked up and do go on, you know, very often, you know, they, they'll they'll make it to the highest levels because they know what it's like to be playing football outside of the you know of the league system and they, when they make it and when they get up to the championship and beyond they appreciate what they have a lot more for the fact that they've seen what it is like down there to what it is up there and like I say clubs like Peterborough I know there's quite a few of the Premier League clubs are now starting to take a bit more of a um, a look at what's going on in the highest levels of the non-league game and seeing who they can pick out. Because, I mean, just last season, I know of two players that left the Ryman League system to go to a Premier League club. You know, the players are here, but the clubs don't seem to want to go looking for them. They don't want to take that chance. they just rather go pick somebody off the shelf instead of developing their own squad. And very often, if you develop your own squad, you can make them into the players that you want them to be and not rely on somebody else doing that. So it's a great story, this. And, you know, I personally wish Marcus all, you know, all the luck in the world and I hope he makes it. And then in a few years time, we can sit there and say, you know, we, you know, we remember him when he was a non-league player. And look how good he was then. Good luck to the kid. Chris, then. No. It's still there because the link's there. He's just sent a message saying his laptop rebooted. Oh, lovely! So we we'll just—I mean, all we've just said now is gone. <laughs> it would have. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I've just got the same message, James. Yeah, I just got the same message. <laughs> so I did that great, big, wonderful thing, wishing him all the best, and nobody's ever going to hear it. 
God. <laughs> Such is the joys of life. Uh, oh, Guessing that means for starting again, then. Oh, heavens. We've had that. Well, no, some of it some of it will have been saved. Some of it will be able to, you know, for so long, and then we'll find out where we are. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, th- I mean, those two players I was referring to, I mean, there was currently Null City's development. To oh, Horst, okay. Yeah, to Horst, who was at Folkestone. Yep, yep, yep. And then there was um, one, for, again, one from Dulwich. I'm just trying to remember his name. We got one from Dulwich, actually, a couple of years ago, Daniel Carr. I think he's been yeah. out on loan a couple of times, but, yeah. I'm just trying to remember who that kid's name is. I'll have to, I'll have to go and look for that. But anyway, but yeah, like I say, but uh, this, yeah, it's, it's a bit strange. I'm just, I'm just relishing in the fact that Hull City have probably got a better strike pair than what Arsenal have. <laughs> Arsenal, Arsenal are getting well back, aren't they? Yeah, but the thing is, the Welbeck's not what they need. <laughs> No. They, they do need a striker, someone that can play up front. Yeah, okay, they've got uh, Sonogo, I think his name is, and you know they've got one or two others who can play there, but you can't expect them to play there week in, week out. Sometimes you need oh, two strikers. Arsenal yeah. are now saying they haven't, because it was reported that Welbeck was having a medical, but yeah. apparently he hasn't done. Nah. Nah, it would be stupid for that. Because, I mean, I mean, I was having a word. Um, do you remember Rob Carrick from last season? Yeah. I chat with him on Twitter a, a bit. And I said, what kind of state has Arsenal come to when they're fighting Hull City and Aston Villa for a midfielder? <laughs> he said, you're right, it's it's shocking. But, you know, when you think about it, the strikers now that Hull City have got, they're better than the two best Arsenal strikers, I would say. Out-and-out strikers. <laughs> you know. Out and out strikers, Arsenal have only got Sunilgo and that's it. Everybody else is just attacking midfielders who happen to play up who can happen to play up front. You know, not out and out strikers. But yet we see Yelovich and that Hernandez. That could it could be tasty if we can get the you know, get the um you know get the supply to them. Ten mil for uh... Well, a smidgen under ten. A smidgen under ten for Hernandez. But like, but after you've sold, after you've sold Shane Long for almost twice what you bought him for. Yeah, <laughs> that says more about the buying club, I think. Well, that's Southampton for you. <laughs> you know, because I mean, they were loaded with money. Because look, look at the look at the squad they had, and it just, you know, it just disappeared. And you know, now they've had to rebuy everything, and you know, they've taken Long, and I think we might end up with a better out of that deal, to be honest. You back, Kristen? Just yeah, just a quick question. Uh, can you hear my fan in the background? No. That's good because uh, <laughs> my laptop just rebooted. <laughs> uh, how much did we lose? Uh, well, we haven't lost anything because the way I'm doing it today, we're doing it as a Google Hangout on air because I don't have the right software to be able to record it mm. uh, for the way this laptop works. So therefore, all the time you two guys have been talking, uh, still been recording. Oh great. Oh, that's all right. My so, great, my, my great speech in praise of Marcus Madison has been saved. Marvellous. Just have to get your editing skills out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, keep him, keep I may not have to edit anything because uh, the way... And now, there's, there's me and you. We've been slagging him off all this time, Robin. It's going to be fun. Saying all these things about <laughs> about Gainsborough as well. I don't know. We'll get into trouble this week, James. We will. Yeah. <laughs> Just edit it. Don't do this to Christian. <laughs> I don't listen to it. <laughs> A shout. No, 
And after we, after we finish recording it, I don't even think about it. <laughs> You're all right, because there's a big long gap after Rob finishes talking, because we were expecting you to come back in, Christian. So. And then we just well, I was, was going to come back in with something, and I can't remember what it was now, because just all of a sudden everything went dead. Yeah. That's what, I think I think we'd wrapped up on the top. It, well, I had, and I think Rob had. So it's just a case of if there was anything you wanted to add, and then. Well, it was just the know. fact that it's eighteen months ago when uh, Marcus was at Newcastle, and he was told he wasn't there, and he's he went to Blythe Spartans, then nipped up to St Johnston for a bit before he settled at Gateshead. And I think basically reading between the lines of the article I've just been reading on the Chronicle website is that it really comes down to the fact that. He had a manager who took him under his wing with Gary Mills. So I know we're praising Peterborough and all that, but you know, I think we also need to be aware that he's taking a manager with the skill of Gary Mills to really get him back and back on the straight and narrow as far as the football is concerned and uh, getting him worthy of going back up the leagues. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well said, Kristen. Yeah, I mean, Gary Mills is a... He's, he's a very well-respected manager in, in the non-league, isn't he? You know, he's Tamworth uh, and York, especially, and now at Gateshead, he's, he's he's one of the names there. And I think you know he, he constantly gets linked with with the jobs in in Solar League Two, and that. Um, I've, I've got a feeling he wants to do it, get into the league by taking a team there rather than jumping up himself. But yeah, definitely um, credit where credit's due. You know. Mm. The manager there definitely does deserve uh, deserve some plaudits because, as you say, you know, you take a player under the wing that's, you know, drifting. I would I would say judging by uh, by that those that account of those eighteen months, I think it' a little bit fair to say it was a drift a little bit. So yeah, to to get his to get him settled his feet back on on the ground and and playing regularly and that's earned him his move certainly. So yeah, well done, Gary Mills. And I think Peterborough as a club will also do something similar, um, and just give you just providing with with the focus, somebody there who believes in him and you know is there to you know keep his self keep the lad going in the right direction. So it'll be you know as he, he's got the he's got the yellow brick road in front of him now. It's up to him how far down it he travels. It is, and it'll be interesting to see over the uh, forthcoming months uh, how well he does. Um, but moving on, uh, we're going to move on to... Uh, we didn't want to talk about them, really, but we can't really get away with it. We'll start with uh, the fact that the Wessex League, in my opinion, have made the right decision in explaining to Salisbury that they're not going to be accepted in. There wasn't really anything else they could do, is there, Rob? I don't think so. I mean, Salisbury have had... Yeah. For a while they had people's sympathy because of what's happened, but when you actually sit down and you know, read a lot of the news stories and read what's said from one side to the other and so on, some of it is self-inflicted and some of the members of the board now accept the fact that we've had also a not a good call, but everybody's wise now they've been made to pay for it. I mean, the Wessex League, they gave them a chance. Um, and basically, um, when it came down to it, the majority of the clubs in the Wessex League basically said that, you know, we don't want you in our league. And um, I find it telling, you know, what's actually quoted saying that the club didn't have a structure in place on or off the pitch to be able to play against some of the teams in the Wessex League who are much, much smaller than they are. So, 
it's it's a sad situation to see a club go under like this. But um, when it comes down to it, I think Mark Winter now realised mistake uh, um, in Mr. Tozer and. I mean, I can understand Mark Winter's point of view in the fact that he feels angry about what's happened. Um, but he also feels that um, the system's been manipulated. And now that the High Court have declared uh, Tuza the legal owner of the club, it makes it now difficult to know where the club will do now. Um, there's always a possibility of a Phoenix club forming at um, the Raymax Stadium. So... <laughs> It's 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 sad to see a club that exists. Some of it is you could say self-inflicted upon themselves by not doing the proper due diligence about um, who they were bringing. But you know you've got to basically take care of the money. You've got to take care of that first and foremost. You can go down the leagues, but as long as you're solvent, at least you've got a club. I think what ha- what's happened here is the fact that. You know, they haven't had the money. They've tried to bring somebody in to take over the club who they thought had money, and it's all gone backwards. So I think you will probably see a Phoenix club within the next six or eight months um, getting themselves a structure in place and possibly joining the Wessex League themselves, you know, taking the the Raymax Stadium, taking the loan on them from that, and um, probably just starting again. So... It's yeah, sad. I mean we. Yeah, I mean the the only thing with you know I've, I've said everything that need, that I needed to say on this. I think I think the only thing I would add is that we um I think we called it last week, didn't we, Kristen? You know we um I think we said it. We didn't think it would happen that they'd get in the Wessex League because you know you look at the I'm just looking at the table now. Um, you know some teams have played as many as eight games in that league already, and. I remember a few weeks ago when when they, when this first arose that they might get into the Wessex League. The um, I remember, you know, they said that they'd need two or three weeks to get themselves sorted in terms of getting a squad together. And by then, you're going to have teams playing, having played a dozen games or more. So it was it was never going to happen. Uh, it doesn't come as a surprise to me this news. Um, it's unfortunate and it's sad, but you know. Yeah, it is what it is, and uh, as Rob says, I think it's down to the fans now, as always, to pick up the pieces and uh, and start from scratch. Well, that's the thing. That's why I thought I'd let Rob take that one because I know we spoke about it last week uh, when we didn't see how any any other club in the right mind would have accepted them. So, as horrible as it is for the fans and people associated with Salisbury City, there there was no way this was going to happen. In my opinion, either it's it's always going to be that it's going to go across to um, hopefully being able to salvage something from the remnants and next year coming back bigger and stronger. We've seen, uh, as we mentioned last week, um, FC United, uh, sorry, FC uh, Halifax, uh, how well they're doing with the fan-owned club and how Chester have led the way and, and Portsmouth and there are other clubs around the country that once the fans get involved, people with a passion for the club and they're willing to go the extra mile because it's not just a job for them. And uh, so that's maybe that's the best thing for the way this could be. Uh, the worst thing could be continuing stays of execution, uh, as we are seeing at Hereford, uh, which uh, I know it's a breaking news story today with Hereford United. But uh, 
when when is the Axman's basically going to finish his cut with him, James? <laughs> uh, how long's a piece of string it seems with this one? Um, yeah, as I said, we're recording on a Monday this week, so we this this story has had chance to break uh, before we record. And yep, Hereford have been given yet another stay of execution, um, another seven days to pay off their debts. Um, <laughs> Basically, yeah, they, well, I mean, how much do they owe? It's £170,000 just to HMRC. Um, and I know the former manager, Martin Foyle, and assistant manager, Andy Porter, are, are, are among the major creditors as well. Um, and it's, it, it is, every time you look at this story, it, they've got another winding up petition and then they've had managed to avoid that and another stay of execution. And yeah, I mean, the, Hand, you know, hand on heart. If if it help, you know, if in this seven days they can get everything back on the straight and narrow and rescue the club, then absolutely fantastic. Because no one wants to see a club go under. Um, but I just do wonder why Hereford are being granted so many reprieves. It's it, you know, you don't. I don't remember seeing it with too many other clubs in the past. So I just wonder. They've obviously, yeah, they've obviously got some good spin doctors at the club that are managing to. To do this, um, I know they, they did recently announce some new investment, and they and they have started selling season tickets. But the, the expectation was that they'd be that today would be their last day, and that Saturday they would have played their last game. So, um, you know, the, um, yeah, I'm just a little bit surprised, but pleased in one respect that they've they've got they, mm. there is a possibility that the it's a you know it's a grand old club. Um, I'd love to see it survive and carry on in its current form rather than as a phoenix club. But with the amount of debt that they've got, I'm surprised that they're uh, being allowed to, to go again. Uh, I mean, I'm, Rob was worried early today about what to get ranty about today, and I, you know, <laughs> I've got a feeling this could be the one. Just before well, Rob gets ranty, if I can just say that, <laughs> it's just it's just to quote uh, Martin Watson, the vice chair of Hereford United Sports Trust. Well. The case has been going for over 90 days now. They've had a string of adjournments and they've got another one. They've said they've part paid Martin Foyle, but we don't exactly know how much, and it's taken most of those 90 days to even make that part payment. They've had a one-week adjournment before, and the court watchers and experts would normally say that's a sign of the court's, wa- uh, court's patience wearing thin. So if that's one of your supporters who's coming around and saying, enough's enough, effectively... Um, one can only think what Rob's now going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not as bad as it's not as bad as I would normally get because it's it's clear that they they're in the end game now. I mean, the courts, as you know, from the same supporters trust says, this is usually a sign of the court deciding we're getting to the point of enough's enough. And um, if it's taken them this long to pay Martin Foyle the part payment that they've given that they've done, then. How how much difference is a week going to make? I mean, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs are never, they're never normally the most forgiving. They never usually give that much time. Basically, a case of you've over, you've not paid us this money, you will pay us this money, and you will pay us it now. And um, once they get their teeth into any debts, your best bet is to get them sorted quickly before it really gets to this stage. But unfortunately, I think Hereford have gone too far now. I think the court will say next Monday, you haven't paid your debts, you haven't done as you said you were going to do, you told the court you were going to do this, it hasn't been done, we have no option but to 
basically wind up the club. Um, despite the fact they do have new investments, but the historical debts that they've got and that should never have been allowed to rise are going to end up killing the club. And as we've said, said it this evening, we've said it on many episodes, it's the fans who are going to suffer again. And, and it's time that the people that run football clubs take better notice of what the fans tell them. Get the fans involved because they've got a better idea of what's happening, of what a club can be, of how a club can grow. Because for them, it's, as James just said a few minutes ago, it's more than the job. To a lot of them, it's the life. Some of these businessmen, club will go under, or quite a few of them will write off their debts and move on to something else. But when the fans get involved, they don't have that option. They stay and they fight and they dig and they cling on and they get the club moving again. Unfortunately, it's going to happen to Hereford. Looks like Salisbury's gone down the same way. It's The FA just really need to do more when it comes to you know the fit and proper person's test because it obviously isn't working. It obviously isn't being taken seriously. And as a consequence, it should be a mandatory thing of every football club to make sure that their, you know, the de- the payments to HMRC are up to date. It should be part of the articles of agreement with the, with the league they're in and with the football association that nothing else is paid until the debts to the to the inland revenue are cleared. The payments are made on a regular basis, because that's the only way you'll get the clubs like this to stay in business. Make it a mandatory clause in any agreement is that everything has to be paid off to the taxman before anything else because when it's personal debts with companies with players with ex-managers and so on you can usually reschedule those because they're usually more reasonable and managers revenue and customs are definitely not this is one of the problems we've heard it's we've seen it time and again in the last 30 years 35 years 40 years go back as far as you like it's always payments to the taxman that end up dragging a club to its knees. Seen it time and again and people are just not learning. So it should be a mandatory part of what the agreement is when you join the A League or when you become affiliated to the Football Association. It's only a way to work. Sorry yeah, about that. That's, that's <laughs> alright. I mean, you know, as, as, as you say, I mean, I was just reading a couple of other stories because you know, as, as you get on the BBC, you tend to get a lot of, uh, a lot of links embedded in a, in a story and then just trying to get a bit of a, a bit of a grasp on the timeline because it, it's another one of those that's just wound on and wound on, if you pardon the, uh, the pun. Um, so I'm just reading one here, uh, Trevor Owens from from BBC Hereford and Worcester uh, Radio. He's about the the investment they got uh, a couple of weeks ago. You, you know, the, it's not clear where the money came from um, that allowed them to start selling season tickets and. Apparently made them confident they would they would avoid this avoid being liquidated today. Um, you know, he said, "Why would you invest in a struggling Southern League club with reported debts of well over a million pounds?" Sorry, but they're not going to pay them off in a week. And HMRC, reading another story, you know, they they rejected the uh, the CVA proposal um, a couple of weeks ago. You know, and if it like you know like you say if 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 they're going to refuse to um, to give to try and help you get a way out, then you know I think I think the nail's pretty firmly in the coffin, and 
the one the one thing that that people can't say and the one thing that fans can't say is they, it's not like they haven't been given every chance i mean you know how many germans how many winding up orders have they avoided you know this now next monday absolutely is got to be last chance saloon it's it's just got to be i mean it's just dragging on and on it's not doing anyone any good you know it's not doing the fans any good because they've got now another week of, of stress and protests and you know an ill feeling towards towards the people at the club that they don't want there and you know it's just another another week of the club being dragged through the mud again as well and and it's obviously it's another week delay to to sorting out the future so i'm still pessimistic i'm uh, you know i am glad that they've got another chance another chance but i really can't see it going any other way i hope i'm wrong but you know if you if, if a non-league club's got debts of over a million pounds you know they're not going to pay them off any time soon and you know the only problem is of course if they do go if they do get liquidated then those little local companies that they owe those million pounds to will be lucky to get any any decent percentage of that that debt paid to them so uh yeah no no one wins in this situation as we've said many times before with various different clubs no it's 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 not good at all and now the county council the hereford county council for Herefordshire, uh have uh, come out and said well actually we're not even on the list of creditors and you owe sixty-five thousand for <laughs> rent, uh, rent, rents and legal fees. So, um, I, think that, I, think that's a, I think that's a substantial enough amount for, to warrant being classed as a major creditor. Yeah, I can't, I yeah. can't imagine they owe Martin Foyle that much. And yet he's, no, he's one of the ones that's brought anyway. up to his knees. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh dear, dear. So basically the council's position, who are actually the landlords at Edgar Street, according to mm. this article on the point which advertiser I'm reading, um, they actually are the landlords, and um, it looks like they're saying that they haven't even been put on the list, despite the fact they're owed money. And uh, obviously, that's another avenue the fans are going down now with protesting the council to say, "Look, you, you're the landlords. You owe they owe you money. You're a public body. Uh, why aren't you doing your best to secure everything as well? What's going on?" Yeah. So I, I really do feel sorry for the fans once again because they're the ones who are suffering here and giving lots of things for people like us to talk about but it's not not glee that i talk about this i'd much rather talk about nice things that happen but uh, as happens quite a lot um, in the podcast we move from one story which isn't particularly brilliant to another one where my pick for uh, conference champions uh, are crying out for more cash uh, for a fresh injection of funds at kidderminster harriers Although uh, the finance director, Joe Hancock, at the club has actually said the club has no substantial debt. Well, well depends what your class is substantial, I suppose. Uh, and no arrears of uh, PAY or VAT. So they've got the, the things right. They've paid the taxman and they've run through. But uh, the sad thing is that they still are uh, crying out for money and it comes back to something that Rob wasn't be able to with us last week but something that AD Britain of Bath touched on is it a viable league when you've got somebody who's relatively successful like Kidderminster they've they've always done pretty well they form a league club and they're now suffering potentially suffering the same fate as other ones I think part of the problem is you've got some of these clubs that I mean I've heard it said once you go up a level and you come down 
infrastructure that you've got in place is still for that higher level and you've got to keep it because if you don't your club's in danger of, of collapsing so they'll still be trying to run a club in as close to a football league manner as possible um, and they're paying for that at the time it's, in, a, in the last few weeks I mean part of Kidderminster's problem is the fact they've had two or three directors either leave or resign and they were the main benefactors of the club. So this is part of the problem. They're a well-run club, there's no doubt about it, by the fact that they're keeping up to date with the taxman and so on. But when your major investors leave the board, that leaves a great big hole in the budget. And this will be part of the problem with Kidderminster, finding somebody in you know, to come in and help cover that. I mean, it's not as if Kidderminster haven't had money in the last, you know, in the last 12 months. I mean, because... And we come back to a story from a few minutes ago. Joe Lolly um, went to Huddersfield Town for reported uh, £300,000. So, and they had a good cup run. So they've had income, but they're finding now without the major investors that they're struggling. And it'd be nice if somebody in the area could come in and say, I'll help you. And you know, perhaps the club needs to think about as much as I hate to say, downsizing their operations a little. Look for cost-cutting measures wherever they can. Because um, you've got to realise, yes, you can run an operation at Football League level while you're in the Football League and you can cover it. But when you come down, as far as um, as far as Kidderminster have, then you've got to start thinking about, well, what can we manage without? What's an extravagance? What's a luxury that we can probably manage to do at a, a lower level? Kidderminster will have to think about that. There's no way they can keep running on the way they are. So it's it's one of those things they've got to think about cutting the cloth to suit their budget. And if it means that you know they have to shrink the squad by a few one or two players, cut down whether they need you know all the all the youth teams they probably have. Just basically make their operations fit the surroundings, the position in the in the footballing pyramid, and then they'll have something to show to a potential investor saying, yes, we know we've money's tight, but look at what we're doing to make sure that the club's viable. We're doing this, we're cutting that, we're trimming here, and it's all coming together, and we're now spending less, and we're having to invest, we're able to invest more in what really matters. Kidderminster should survive, but we should with a bit of luck. Um, they'll get the investors that they need. I hope they survive because I say they were my uh, pick to go up and uh, just to touch on that after we've had our first month of the season uh, my pick was Kidderminster and they are currently in fifth uh, I believe yours James was Wrexham um, mm, yes, they're 11th yes. <laughs> and just to prove how much teams coming down from the uh, football league struggle Bristol Rovers are in 15th yeah, but they've just they're just picking up some form at the minute, so I've still got hopes for them. Well, they did. They just beat last week's team of the week, which apologies, I forgot to mention, but they just beat FC Halifax, didn't they, at the uh, at the weekend? Yes, they did. In front of a phenomenal crowd, really. I think it was nearly four thousand there. Yeah, that's uh, yeah for conference. That's, but that's, you know that that just goes to reinforce um, you know what Eddie Britton said there, doesn't it? It's such um, a mishmash league now, as we covered last week. You know, you've got professional teams in there that are getting crowds like that. I mean, by rights, Bristol Rovers on that should be a lot higher up the table than they are. But as you say, you know, you, it, it can be a struggle for them to um, 
to integrate into the into the league, especially when it's your first ever time down there. Um, but yeah, just going back to Kidderminster, I think a lot of a lot of it is, you know, probably down started when Mark Sarah left in February, didn't he? And then they've had Lysa, Rob, they've had two or three more quit. And I, I believe there's a couple of them having legal action taken against some other other funds, which apparently are contractually committed but have not been forthcoming. So, I mean, they, they're quick to stress that there's no immediate problems at Kiddy. It's just to, to basically keep the playing squad together. Otherwise, yeah, they're going to have to cut budgets and cut their, cut their costs, and which will obviously uh, mean a, a realignment of their ambitions this season. And, and that fifth place where they are at the moment might not be uh, sustainable. But I don't think we're anywhere near talking about them being in jeopardy in the same same breath as some of the other clubs that we talk about. So no, thankfully. They just need a little bit of investment and they're doing it the sensible way. They're asking for it now rather than when it's too late. And, you know, they're, they're a big old famous non-league name, um, you know, so here's hoping that the uh, that someone someone with a, well, maybe a Euro Millions winner or someone can, uh, can jump on board and, and help them out a little bit. I hope, hopefully for them that, that will do. Um, just before we move on to the Vanarama announcement this week uh, from the uh, conference, and um, just looking at the, this is the this is the disparity that AD Britain was talking about. Where you're looking at Bristol Rovers' average attendance this season at home has been five thousand nine hundred and fifty-four um, as number one in the conference, and uh, Welling down there at the bottom have got five hundred and eighty-two. So they've got less than ten percent of the people coming on average to watch them who are watching Bristol. So it is really a huge disparity in that division at the moment between the uh, top and the bottom uh, as regards to the average attendances. Kidderminster finishing ninth, uh, they're on 1,872. So it surprises me um, where they are because I would have expected a couple of the teams below them, uh, such as Barnet and AF- FC Halifax, to, who've normally got very good support, to be up there above them. So... The fans are doing their part, and once again, it's just trying to. And we hope that the the backroom staff, as far as the directors are concerned, can get this sorted and and keep the club going. But uh, as I say, I've, I've just mentioned, I'm just going to mention it's not the monthly awards yet. That's probably going to come next week um, when we all need to remember it's non-league day because the uh, the multi-millionaires are going for a jolly somewhere, and uh, so it's time to get down to support your actual local team who and watch some real football, have a pint, have a pie on the terrace, standing up watching your favourite local team. Um, but Alan Olga, um, who's been involved with the conference for seven years, he's no longer involved, um, had some tweets this week which surprised me because uh, he's always been on very good terms with the conference. And They weren't horrible tweets. They just pointed out that one of the um, reports this week, which appears to have actually changed on the conference website, uh, was about the, uh, the conference monthly awards uh, where... The conference gave out a list saying that they were doing new awards this year um, rather than they were going to do it all in a new way rather than how they were doing it. And uh, Alan Algood took a bit of a, a front to it and just pointed out a few facts for them, just pointing out that, well, he'd never done it the way that they seem to have said they were doing it. And it's at times like this, I wish I had taken a copy because it appears that they've taken it off their website. Yeah, I just took that link you put in a running order and it brings up a match report. Yeah, so uh, that's interesting. So maybe they're changing the way they're doing it. 
because uh, but basically um, what they said they were going to do rather than basing it on which team is top and which managers had the most wins they're going to change it and they're going to say it's a new system uh, or they claimed it's a new system and that they are going to base it on fan voting and a team of experts and all the, the usual gubbins but Alan Olga tweeted out Oh, I was only, I think it was only on uh, Saturday or Friday or Saturday. Um, why are they saying it's a new manager of the month? Because um, he's not going to change. Um, when he was part of the team selecting it, it was they never based it on points and wins. They always based it on fans and um, games and who's won and uh, also not only the way who's won but who's played the best. And they had seven seasons. Seven seasons. It seemed to well. Uh, really well for him uh, and also he's been through his spreadsheets and over 75 of the people he selected as um, the, who they've selected to be um, player of the month uh, weren't the top scorer so he's really strange he finds it quite strange that they're coming out saying this is a new system now is it just a case of them trying to get some uh, airplay and some conference uh, some Vanarama conference um publicity yeah i would i think it, i think it, i think it probably is um i think it's just someone who's a little bit misguided that assumed that that's how it was um how it was judged before um when quite clearly as you as you can see from alan's alan's uh, tweets it's uh, that's not the way he's, he's done it in the past so it it probably feels like a slap in the face to to Alan, I mean, he's always been very well spoken on the uh, on the non-league show on BBC Radio Five Live. So you know, he's um, it, it it seems a little out of character. The um, you know the 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 way that he's come out outspoken like this, but he obviously feels strongly enough to do it. And you know, yeah, it's it's, it's a bit strange that the conference would tweet something out like that. But I'm I'm assuming it's probably just uh, just a bit of cross wires and a bit of a misunderstanding um, because I never thought that he'd just picked it on the manager of the month or whatever was the manager of the team at the top of the table, you know, success is relative, you know, so, you, know you just have to look last season, don't you, you know, in the, in the top flight, it wasn't the champion, it wasn't the championship winning manager that got the manager of the year. So success is relative and, um, you know, he's always tried to base it on that. And, you know, I think he's probably just feels his nerves a bit out of joint by that. I mean, it's understandable when you think about it. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, when you're picking of, you know, team of the month, player of the month, manager of the month, it should basically be on on the form to start with to give you your shortlist. You know, who's you know who's had the best run during this month? Which manager has got the most out of his team in the in the last month? And it's you know, for it to be picked any other way, to me, I think makes a mockery of the whole idea of the uh, of the awards in the first place. You know, it's fine. I mean, you get a team that's down in twentieth. They'll play the month. Um, they might put together four four wins and a draw, drag themselves out of the bottom. And under the old system that Alan's talking that the legend was going on, they wouldn't even have been looked at because they were nowhere near the top of the league. But under a normal system, it'd be a case of somebody will notice it. Oh. Look at their uniform. They've done well this month. They're a candidate. And that's the way it should be. It's a bit the same with the pl- with players. I mean, to, to bring it back to a Hampton point of view, I mean, Charlie Moon got 35 league goals last season. 
And I don't think he got one player of the month, I don't think. You know, even in spite of everything that he did, the golden boots, you know, top score and so on. But, you know, you always pick it on form and you always pick it on results. And then you say to the fans, this is the shortlist. What do you think? And get and get them to vote on it. And then that way you get something that a consensus can agree on. To do it any other way is just complete stupidity. I I fully agree with you, Rob. And I think that's the way Alan did it. He always... He's, he's, one of the few people I've seen on Twitter, and he's always engaging the fans, and it was always yeah, a, nice to see. Even, he took a lot of stick because people used to think that he worked for the conference rather than being an independent person from the conference, and he, but he was defending them to the hilt in a lot of things that happened. So it's a bit sad that somebody's decided, well, let's get a bit of publicity rather than thinking of doing it the best way. And speaking I mean, of sad it, things... Oh, sorry. Yep. I was just going to quickly say, I mean, it's... It, it, it's a better way of doing it. He's getting. He's basically saying it's easy. You know, here's your here's your choice of candidates. Pick one. It's an easy thing to do over the internet, is a poll, and I'm sure the conference can do it. Not a problem. And you give people 24 hours to vote, and there's your, and there's your decider. Job done. So you know, I mean, why they would ever want to do it any other way just you know, completely baffles me. No, it does. And uh, speaking of polls, uh, I think we've uh, seen this week that we've finished the first month of the new season and for at least, what, six managers, it's time that they moved on. Yeah, so uh, it's been a huge week this week. I think one of them um, we found from last week although uh, we never noticed him, where Adam Stevens has left Colville Town, which is uh, sad for the guy uh, to have left. But there just seems to have been so much this this week. And I think, obviously, it's got to be it's the first month, end of the month, and it's going to go. Um, Adam Stevens, for instance, he's like eight years at the club. And to actually get the very little press write-up that he did... Um, after what he's done, he's a trip to Wembley, promotion to the Evo Stick League, and two playoffs. And now they've parted company uh, with him. And so it's really sad to see when anybody loses a job, but especially when somebody who's done so much for the club over a number of years. Now, I don't know what's going on there because my internet connection here is so poor, I can't seem to get anything to work. So I don't know whether you two know where they're sitting at the moment in the Evo Stick Division South. Uh, I can find out. I was just reading... Uh, I can. Yeah, I can get you that. I can get you to going back to the old-fashioned hardware. Uh, no, okay. It's, okay. it's just loaded up now. Right, okay, Colville, Colville. They're in the Evo Stick 1 South and the mid-table, the 12th. Four games played with two wins and two defeats. So it's not as if they're down in 20th place and kicking around with the likes of Kids Grove and Carlton and Rainworth. You know, they're mid-table, they're in a good position, they're only three points off the top six. You know, there's good. it's a good position for them to push on from uh, if you if you really want to look at it. So, you know, it's a bit of a strange decision, this one, this uh, let Adam, Smith, uh, Adam Stevens go like this. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't really give a lot away, does it, that little... Uh... That little four-line yeah. paragraph. Um, it sounds like he's done a, a pretty good job in in eight years with mm. uh, with what Kristen mm-hmm. just said there, and mm. it doesn't actually give the reasons for him leaving. Whether it's a case of he's he's left because of 
family reasons or work commitments or um, yeah. you know a disagreement with the board or whether he's being sacked or I just you know yeah it's a it's a bit of a strange one it might just be a case of you know eight years taking them as far as you can and and you know time to move on if you know but yeah a bit of a bit of a strange one after after eight years to only get four lines as you as you write up it's um well, it's not exactly yeah it's not exactly a, a, yeah. a glowing thank you is it I mean, usually, no, if, look, if, usually, if it's for that, something like work reasons or anything off the field, that's usually usually mentioned. You know, the statement usually says something along those lines that you know, due to commitments off the field, he's having to step down and so on and so on. By the fact that there's nothing there in terms of content, would make a suspicious person and a cynical person like me to think something's gone on in the boardroom between him and the board and something has been said out of turn and they basically said we're not taking that adam thanks for all you've done clear your desk that's what i would think maybe wrong but you know i'm just a cynical old so-and-so <laughs> yeah it is uh, so i'm just seeing he's he basically they won the first two games and they've lost the last two games so yeah. it, it seems a shame for him to go but well it's another one that we won't really know uh, anything that happens there. Uh, maybe you two can give a bit more insight into the next one where George Borge uh, has left uh, Enfield Town and been replaced. Is that replaced by his assistant? Yeah, it is. Yeah, he, um, George Borg took over, what, last December, um, but defeat at home to Wingate and Finchley. Uh, we know what that feels like at Hampton. Um, we definitely do. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, hmm. that's the end of, of his um, of his reign there. Uh, Bank Holiday Monday, that defeat was. Um, and I'm just looking, yeah, it was only about three days later they uh, they gave the, gave the job to his assistant, uh, Bradley Quinton, um, which, you know, I'm assuming that he, he obviously uh, may have been offered it a little bit earlier than that and possibly had a chat with uh, with Mr. Borg as well and just made sure that everything would still be okay between them, you know, if he goes into into the hot seat and uh, obviously gets the blessing and takes the job. But yeah, he's a, he's a, um, a famous old name is uh, George Borg. And you just have to look through on the, on the Ryman league website at his, um, the clubs he's managed, you know, Barking, Chelmsford, Chesham, Harrowborough, uh, the original net Enfield, Aldershot, Billericay, Hornchurch, Braintree, you know, so he's, he's very experienced manager and a, you know, and a very, um, a, a very, very well known name, certainly, uh, certainly down in the uh, sort of like the Essex and and that sort of area and up into northwest London. And I'm pretty certain he'll, he'll be back in the job fairly shortly. You know, I mean, it's it, it, the Ryman Premier is a, a tough league as well, and um, it, it's not, you know, as again, bring it back to Hampton, you know, five defeats before Saturday, it's, it can be difficult to get those results on the board in this division. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it's a results business, and if you're not getting them, you're out the door, but you know. Good luck to to Bradley Quinton. Um, sure, I'm sure he'll give it his best go, and you know, and let's uh, let's see how he does. When you actually look at the reports, you realise the fact that this is nothing to do with any result on the pitch. Um, depending on what the FA decide on an investigation due to the referee's report of the match, George will either be exonerated. And be free to take up another job anywhere he likes. Uh, he'll be seen nowhere near a football pitch for a long period of time because, um, according to the referee's assistant, and the league and the FA have been 
informed about it, it is alleged, um, because it is on the assistant referee's word that um, George made a form of either racist or anti-Semitic comment. Um, don't really want to say anything more until the investigation is over, but the FA have been made aware of it and they are investigating. If the FA decide that the case is proven, George will not be seen anywhere near football for quite a while. It's well, sad. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, well, this is what... Ah, James, I read, I read the papers. Um, <laughs> um, the, the opening paragraph in the, of the feature in the non-league paper says, The Football Association are investigating claims controversial manager George Borg allegedly told fans of Wingate and Finchley, a club from London's Jewish community, that Hitler is going to get you. That's what's alleged, and that's what's in the paper. Whether it's true or not, I, we don't know. We weren't there, and it's only the referee's assistance report that is um, is basically forming the basis of the FA investigation. For such things as this, if George is found guilty, I'd be very surprised if he gets away with anything less than 12 months, a 12-month ban. Um, if he's proved innocent, then it's not a problem. But it just goes to show that these days, you know, there's no place in the game for such things. And um, if George has been misheard, fair enough. But um, by the but when you read the actual reports, it sounds like the fans were goading him, and um, some of the things they were they're alleged to have said. Um, let's put it this way: if I heard that at Hampton, it'd be a case of I'd case of it immediately. The steward basically said, "Wonder where the stewards were," because there was no place for anybody saying anything of this nature to any of you know any visiting players, any visiting members of staff. It's not on. Seriously, it's not on. I mean, football is a game, yeah, Some, sometimes it goes further than that. But when all's said and done, once the game's over, the final whistle's gone, you, you've changed, you're in, the, you know, you're in the bar afterwards, that's it. You, one thing you don't do is make these kind of comments that the fans allegedly made in George's direction. Whether he said what it's allegedly has said, we just have to wait for what the FA investigation says. But it's basically there's no place for what the fans were chanting, and there is a small measure of provocation of a um, as a defence for George. You know, I have met him. He's a character. He's definitely one of those. But you know, when somebody like George is getting provoked by the fans like this, you know, you've really got to start looking at you know what you know you know what kind of fans these are. I mean, I don't. It doesn't. The report doesn't say whether it was Wingate fans or whether it was his own fans, or just people who were just happened to be walking in off the street as a group. Um, but whatever it is, there's no there's no place for it in, in football. There's no place for it in you know in in wider in the wider world. We're all the same. We're all said and done. We're all born. We all grow up. We all die. Let's just leave football out on the pitch and leave the and leave all of that behind. There's no place for it. No, I fully agree, and uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what the final uh, conclusion is. Uh, but as we move down, there's been uh, other people, for footballing reasons, thankfully, who uh, have, well, not thankfully, but for football reasons, have been uh, asked to leave their employment, and uh, one of whom is Edward Steen. He's left Banbury United after they were thumped 5 nil. Um the weekend against, uh, or last weekend against uh, Sirens to Town. So they've got no points, and at the end of the first month with no points, you've really got to be start fearing for your job. And uh, as it is, he's a former Oxford City, Whitney Town, 
he's played at Banbury, a player, uh, and he's been a coach at Didcot and Abington Town. Um, when Paul F- Davis uh, will be taking town, uh, taking a charge over the weekend. So uh, he's not appointed, but Edward Steen has left, and it is a bad start for Banbury. Um, they didn't, they didn't have a brilliant season last year, but they didn't do too badly either, as regards uh, life is concerned down there in the Southern Premier. So uh, you really got to you got to think, um, and I know last season we suffered a similar sort of thing where we got zero from six. They're actually zero from seven now. They lost at the weekend. Um, so I can see why the management may have, or sorry, the directors may have thought it was time to make a change. And uh, hopefully, as far as that's concerned for them, um, they may be able to. Uh, do a difference with uh, Banbury taking Dorchester Town this weekend uh, on non-league day. So hopefully for Banbury, um, things look pretty dire for them. I say seven games down and only uh, zero points to go. But just not wanting to detract from any managers who've lost a job, but also just looking there at Histon, who were relegated from the Conference North last year and ended up in the Southern League Premier. They're actually sitting in uh, second bottom with uh, only two points from seven. So uh, things have really gone apart for them as well. Yeah, um, yeah, not good. Um, as you say, non, no wins in seven. Did you say Banbury were playing Dorchester this weekend? Yes, they're playing at Banbury against Dorchester. Ah, another another team without a manager. Nice, uh, nice little segue there. Because <laughs> uh, Dorchester of Phil Simpkin has been uh, has been relieved of his duties as well. Just trying to see, doesn't uh, doesn't seem to. It, it's a very curt statement on the Dorchester Town website. Um, just says that he's been he's had his employment terminated by the board with immediate effect. So that's in. Again, that's quite short shrift there, isn't it? That's normally bad terms, then. <laughs> yeah, you would imagine so, wouldn't you? Yeah, because mm. it even says end at the end of the uh, press release. So, uh, <laughs> whether or not it's just somebody who knows how to do press releases, but Dorchester have got seven from seven, uh, seven points from seven. So, could be an interesting one, a battle of the uh, managerless teams there. Uh, yeah, the weekend. But, uh, yeah, it could could well be. But as you say, yeah, Histon not uh, not enjoying a good start to the season again. Only a couple of draws, and uh, you know you look at that Southern League table and just a couple of places above Histon is uh, good old Hereford. It's um, a bit of a depressing uh, part of the uh, part of the league table. That. Yeah, especially if Hereford uh, failed to get their win on uh, Monday night uh, against the uh, HMRC. Um, <laughs> Just, we're looking, we're looking down, and we've got Brian Pritchard at Witten Albion. He left his employment on Bank Holiday Monday, which is interesting because they actually won on Bank Holiday Monday, three-one over Marine. He's holds a record appearances for the club as a player, and only took over in 2011. He actually led them to promotion by the playoffs, and then losing out to uh, FC United playoffs 12 months later uh, to go up. And so, it's it really is um, an interesting one. Yeah, this this one's for uh, for work and personal reasons. Um, he actually agreed. He actually decided to to go uh, a couple of days before the bank holiday weekend, but was persuaded to take charge of those those two games. And then he's he's gone. He's been there for a, for a long old time, I believe. As a pretty much yeah. done a bit of everything at the uh, at the club. I know you say he's only been manager there for two or three yeah. years, but. 
I think he's been at the club for I think it's something like eighteen years um, from from player and uh, and into the backroom staff and then as manager. So you know it's a, a bit of a legendary name in the uh, in the northwest, I would imagine. And yeah, it's always sad, but non-league level, you know, you, work and personal reasons can so often be the reason. I know, you know, at, at Bracknell Town, the uh, you know my local local club now. Um, I know their managers, their joint managers, in the summer quit because of work commitments, and unfortunately, you know, that's what pays the bills, and it can sometimes dictate what you're able to do on a on a Saturday and a Tuesday. So it's always sad when it's not. When it's you know, especially when it's not results that have uh, dictated a manager leaving his post. Yeah, or or a Sunday night for podcasts as well. Yeah, <laughs> these, work, these work things getting in the way. Um, one last thing, uh, manager we found this week. If you do notice anybody else, uh, please tweet at Non League Pod or at uh, Rabid Robo or at uh, Under the League uh, or at Libster Clark. Please uh, let us know if we've missed anybody or you've you've got any insight into what's actually going on with some of these clubs. Uh, because the one last one, going back to uh, Gateshead, really, is their ex-manager Ant Smith, um, who's been out of the game for a while since he uh, stopped being the uh, Gateshead manager, uh, he's uh, taken over at West Auckland, so he's dropped down. But uh, interesting appointment there because he's always done pretty well as a manager. Yeah, he he did all right, Gateshead, didn't he? And then um, you know started off last season with a with a couple of defeats, and then decided to resign. I think he was the first manager to go in the conference last season so after two or three games. So it's um it's a, it, it's a good move for him, obviously. He must have wanted to stay up in the northeast, um, and West Auckland's come along. They're, um, they've got some some good history. Um, you know, the, their manager Peter Dixon, the former manager, took them to the uh, FA Vars final at Wembley twice in the in his five years at the club. So, got some big shoes to fill, Ant Smith. But you know, West Auckland are upwardly mobile. They're a good a good team. Um, it's it's probably it's probably a good job for him to take. He's been out for a year, so he'll have you know he'll have now been eager to get to get back into the game. And um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good move for all concerned. Right, I definitely think it is. Um, we're going to move on. There is nobody else uh, that we've noticed who's uh, unfortunately lost their job or decided to move on. Um, but we've now we are promised. I promise this week we are going to remember the team of the week uh, and also the player of the week. But uh, we're going to move on to hat trick watch first. Lots of goals around. It was FA Cup weekend this weekend, uh, with uh, the cup competition seeing. Oof, some amazing results. Um, I don't really know where to start with the FA Cup, so I think I'll probably leave that one to the last, um, just simply because uh, it will tie into other things that we're going to talk about. Finally, in the conference, we had some goals, and Barnet, uh, they took over the uh, lead uh, after finally coming alive with Lou, uh, Lee Cook grabbing a hat-trick against Darford as they won, as uh, Barnet won 4-0 at home. And also on Bank Holiday Monday, another real awakening for Dover with a 6-1 thrashing um, uh, at the hands of uh, Woking with uh, Scott Rendell uh, grabbing four goals in that game, including a penalty. So it's really having some trouble with uh, 
Dover because I think they've uh, not had the best of starts this year. No, not a, not a good bank holder for Kent clubs, was it? That um, yeah, Scott Rendell score. He used to play for Luton. He's always managed to get goals at this level. Um, in fact, I think he got the goal when uh, when Luton put Norwich out of the FA Cup at Carrow Road. Um, was it last season? That I think maybe this, you know. So he's, he's a good signing. A good signing for working. He'll uh, he'll fire them into the uh, higher reaches of mid-table there. But yeah, not a good day for not a good day for the Kent clubs there. No, it's a bit, a bit of a, a bit of a shock. Um, just looking through, oh, missed it. Uh, we're looking at Evo Stick South. Uh, we've got a couple of hat tricks there, with both of them actually being five nil wins. Uh, with the first one coming for Newcastle Town, who were away at Norton United, with uh, Neville Thompson grabbing a hat trick in a five nil victory, and then. Excuse me, Sheffield United. Oh, sorry, Sheffield FC. Uh, Matthew Matthews Romney. Uh, he grabbed five. Uh, he sorry, he's grabbed a hat trick in a five nil win at home to Rainworth uh, Miners Welfare, who sees Rainworth sitting right rock bottom uh, of the Evo Stick South. So not good news for them. They really need to get their act together a little bit. Um, it could be one following. Uh, your game at the weekend, but back, back on Bank Holiday Monday, I think you mentioned that Lewis had been suffering uh, a few defeats, and I think there was uh, a five-one loss away at uh, sorry at home to uh, Margate. Yeah, it was um, Margate, the uh, favourites for the well um, among the favourites for the title, and it was actually I have an ex Hampton player that got that hat trick, uh, Ryan Moss. Um, he was also at Kingstonian last season. He's he knows where the goal is, except when he was wearing a Hampton shirt. And um, yeah, good hat trick from there. I'm just trying to respond to it. Uh, it, it popped up in front of everything I was doing. Um, so down, down there in uh, the uh, Southern Prem, who still don't have a sponsor, but you're just seeing the goals racking in. We've already mentioned Histon, and this is part of the reason I knew that it happened, because I did get uh, a message from Libby on... Uh, Saturday or Sunday, rather, about the uh, hat-trick watch, where she said, Histon, relegated from the Conference North last year, suffered a 6-0 away defeat at Cambridge City. So that must be even more galling because uh, Histon's ground, the Glassworld Stadium, is actually the headquarters of Cambridge, uh, uh, Cambridgeshire FA. So it's a real local derby there, so it must be pretty good for Cambridge, uh, with Andrew Phillips grabbing his hat-trick. And Josh O'Hanlon... Uh, down there at Paul Town, who are the leaders in that division, uh, they won nil at home to Frome. So his was a, what's it work out? as a 17-minute hat trick. Impressive. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty impressive. Uh, but so to start that Paul have had, they just seem to be rumping it at the moment. And the final one we've got down that way was down at Dickot Town, where we've got our first hat-trick repeater with uh, John Mills loving the bank holiday weather down there at Didcot and he grabbed another hat-trick um, scoring all three goals in the 3-0 home victory for Didcot over Fleet and then yeah, so he uh, he takes the lead then for, for the hat-tricks this season he's the first one we've had on twice Yep, he's the first one with uh, Lib's new way she does it. We've we decided we make an executive decision that uh, we'd put the cup competition separately because obviously league and cup uh, are slightly different. 
because I think one of these may have already had a uh, hat-trick in the league. But uh, for the FA Cup, I'm going to start with Michelover Sports. And I think it's got to be one of the best names for a football club ever. Michelover is pretty fun. But uh, Thurnby Nirvana is even better. Unfortunately for Thurnby, um, Carl Ashton of Michelover scored three goals in the 3-1 victory, uh, including one in the last minute just to round it off. And he's all second all uh, second hat trick, second half hat trick there for him. Yeah, um, I have. I've just I have to take issue with you uh, there for the for the best name. I think Appleby Frodingham is my favourite club name. I think well, Appfrod's App Frod's not too I, bad. I, I, to what, say. If, if their if their club shop isn't called the App Store, I'd be devastated. <laughs> <laughs> I do actually think they're small enough that they don't have a club shop. Um, <laughs> the only reason I say that is that so my son plays for Curtin and Appfrod are one of the teams he plays. So not not the uh, the the earlier the later ones, the adult ones, but obviously the under twelves. <laughs> so it's something I know I know Appfrod pretty well. Um, another one that really is surprising me, um, and maybe is just as we've proven uh, with somebody who took on the debts, uh, held his hands up and said, yeah, I caused this, I'll get us out of this. Uh, Droylson, remember last year they were, or the year before, they were annihilated in the, in the Conference North, and then last year they were annihilated in the Prem of the uh, Evo stick, and now they're sitting there down in the Evo stick North, and Kieran Kilheny has uh, scored a hat-trick in a 4-0 win at home to Runcorn. So it's what a difference a year makes as far as that's concerned. I'm a really good look to Droylston as they continue to rebuild there. Um, I have to admit, I do like the club they were playing, though. You almost expect them to sort of like burst into song a little, this team. <laughs> uh, so Because Droylston were playing Runcorn Linnets. Yeah, they were playing their own court limits. Um, <laughs> Libby was very happy or very disappointed that uh, Torquay, I believe, their striker at Torquay only scored two out of three um, because of my usual mispronunciation of uh, people's names. Yeah, just, well, wait till you you'll see the link I've just put in there. That's <laughs> what I'm just about to do. Northwich Victoria, they beat AFC Emily 4 0 over at Northwich uh, with Godwin. Abadaki scoring, but uh, as James has pointed out, his full name is uh, Godwin Orofimi <laughs> Ibn Mosi Abadaki. And, uh, so I think that was not too bad a attempt. He was a Nigerian national and he's playing over there at Northwich. He's only 20, what was he? He's about 20, 21, oh, he's 20. Uh, so it's good luck for him. He scored a hat trick today, uh, or sorry, uh, on Saturday as it was. Daniel Cope, Stafford Rangers, he grabbed a hat-trick away at Walsall Wood, so the FA Cup produced a lot of goals, uh, as I've already said, with Scott Metcalf at Warrington. Um, they grabbed a 4-1 victory at home to another local club of mine, um, uh, Barton Town Old Boys, um, where they he scored a penalty in the 40th, a goal in the 42nd, and then another penalty in the 76th to round off his hat-trick. So Barton actually, in the previous round to this, they ran away 7-0 winners. So they were at the end of uh, a defeat this time. And I always thought this was regional at this level. Seems quite far to me, but it could just be uh, the way things goes. With Aaron Taylor at Lancaster, uh, they travelled over to Washington, uh, not the DC, the one near Newcastle, and uh, they ran away 7-0 winners. So uh, good luck to Lancaster there. And 
Kettering, who I believe was that my pick for the um, southern one of the Southern League prom- promotion spots. They've actually continued their good start to the season with Andy Hall scoring three of the four goals as they won 4-1 at Kogan Ho United. And I think we've now come to the fastest hat-trick that we've got with uh, Lewis Powell for Mangosfield United. He scored three goals in the form of victory at home to Cribs, including an 11-minute hat-trick. So uh, I think that's pretty good from my point of view. I can't really say any fairer than that. And I think I'll let James take the next one as it's our team of the week um, for a stunning victory. Yeah, um, Barton Rovers get the team of the week this week for a a fantastic 8-1 win away at Stairns Lammas, which is a ground I know well because they actually actually play their home games at Ashford Town Middlesex. Um, And Nat Peacock, I suppose honourable mention, um, doesn't get the player of the week for but that's for other reasons. But he, um, yeah, he got five, which is impressive, including four in the first half. He scored on 9-37-38, got a fourth in injury time at the end of the first half, and then 12 minutes into the second half, got his fifth. And, uh, yeah, they go through 8-1 with a no-way win. So team of the week, Barton Rovers. And uh, just so we don't miss out this week, like we did last week, where we said, oh, we'll come back to that later in the programme, and the you have to look at the show title to work out what we forgot. Um, we've got an international playing at Evo Stick level in this country, which you cannot say... I don't know how anybody cannot say that's not worthy of being the player of the week, really. Um Yes, he may be playing for a, one of the international minnows, but he's got more caps than I'm going to get. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, so <laughs> Adam Priestley, uh, mm. playing for Farsley, has been called up to play for Gibraltar, and he'll be playing on a week on Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, when I'll be glued to the set to watch Tamworth versus Gainsborough Trinity uh, in the full international team so hats off to him that's an amazing achievement yeah. i don't care how small an international team it is it's still an international yeah i mean yeah. He, he, he has played for, sorry robbie he has he has played for them <laughs> before i believe but yeah i mean it was the fact that he's you know he's going to be playing poland so he's a striker so he's going to be you know trying to trying to put the ball in the net past arsenal's first choice goalkeeper you know chesney and at the other end of the pitch he's going to see bayern munich superstar robert Lewandowski. you know trying to score well, probably will be scoring in the other goal, to be fair. But, you know, yeah, I mean, mm. it, from Farsley to, to playing against Poland in the in the European Championship qualifiers, it, you know, that's that's just a dream, isn't it? It's, you know, I'd be, it's just, uh, well, something to tell the grandkids, isn't it, that he's going to share a pitch with, uh, with mm. Lewandowski. I mean, the um, recognition that Gibraltar got as um, a full UEFA member that enabled them to basically take part in such things as the European Championship qualifiers. Um, it's opened up a whole new horizon for many people who probably never even thought they'd get anywhere near any kind of international recognition whatsoever. There'll be a few. I think there'll be a few players now scanning, either scanning their family trees or having a word with uh, with the family, you know, trying to find out who's if there's anybody born in Gibraltar or not to make them eligible to play. Yeah. Well, then, um, then, then, Danny Higginbottom, did he play for them? I yeah, think? I think so. 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. In the case of, I know some of these smaller nations are not looked down upon, but for the players involved, and if you know, if if they if they're good enough to play in that country's first choice eleven, then so they should. And for Adam to, you know, to go from playing in front of a few hundred for Farsley, um to play against Poland. I'm not quite sure whether that's the home fixture or the away fixture. If it's the away fixture in Poland, he'll be playing in front of quite a few thousand and um, he'll find it all a bit of an experience. Um, with a bit of luck, we just hope they shut the roof. Yeah, <laughs> true. Because um, otherwise there'll be problems um, given the way the weather could go these days. Um, with a bit of yeah, luck, just he'll like <laughs> I wouldn't know. I haven't watched Farsley in recent years so I couldn't really say. Um but no, like a lot of players in this situation, it'll be to his credit if he can, you know, with what he learns from this game, you know, how to improve himself, what little things he can pick up playing against some of the cream of the of the world's talent. Um, with a bit of luck, he'll come back a, a, a better player for it. Um, and that's why I think it's a good thing that these smaller nations get the opportunity because the players will be able to look back on that and pick up things that they wouldn't have considered playing for their own local club week in, week out. They'll look at these international players and see the way they turn, the way they control the ball, the way they you know, the way they read the game, the way they see the game. And with a bit of luck, they'll be able to take some of that back when they go back to the ordinary Saturday afternoon playing in front of 200. And they'll become a better player for it. So, again, I wish, I wish Adam and Gibraltar were yeah, best of luck. I think they'll probably become... Um, Quite a few people's a second nation of choice, just should, because of the fact of the way they're playing. I should just, um, for for balance, I should just say there is a Bristol Rovers player in the squad as well, Jake Gosling. And um, just before any Bristol Rovers fans decide to tweet, but Farsley are a, a little bit lower down the pyramid, so it's um, <laughs> you know we just uh, just give the credit there to 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 Adam because he's, yeah. I say he's playing a little bit lower down, so uh, yeah, but. Fantastic achievement. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck to him. No, it's a, it's an absolutely brilliant achievement. And uh, I think we're going to have to let uh, James make the choice for which one of the two stories this week. Um, we've got a nomination from Rob, uh, which I have to be say that I've got nothing to do with. And we've got a nomination from SC United uh, as uh, what's going on. Um, but I think... James, what if you were going to choose for your and finally, although we'll probably talk about them both anyway. <laughs> yep. So uh, as you say, there were, there were a couple in it this week. Um, the one that I the, the one that I picked up was um, an unusual uh, partnership um, in a, in FC United's match at the weekend against Ramsbottom. Um, we've you know we've all heard of brothers playing and even even fathers and sons, but. Interestingly, FC United's match, the referee, and I haven't been able to find a, a link that has, has the name, so I do apologise, but the referee was um, actually the grandson of one of the assistant referees. So that's um, that's the first time I can remember two people involved on the pitch that are uh, two generations apart. Like I say, we've all heard of brothers and we've all heard of father and son, but it's the first time I can ever remember granddad and grandson. Just a shame the uh, the dad wasn't the uh, the other assistant. <laughs> that would have been that would have been fantastic. 
mind you, think of what might have been said if the um, if any decision had happened to go the wrong way, and that had been the case, you know, son, father, and grandfather in there. It would have been quite interesting to hear what the fans would have thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but yeah, I think we should uh, we should uh, air the other one as well, which, um, as you say, Rob picked, but involves your club, Kristen. Yeah, it does. Um, it was quite fortuitous circumstances on Bank Holiday. Um, basically, we've got uh, two goalkeepers, like you have to have at our level, and we've our first goalkeeper, Jan Butz. He's uh, been played quite a lot in the league and he's uh, our number one choice uh, as was and we've got another one called Mike Emery he started off at Boston and runs a local football in school and stuff and basically as it's in non-league he rings up the boss uh, on uh, Friday or it was actually on Sunday uh, because in between the two games and his car had broken down on the way home after the game on Saturday and so he got towed home and he couldn't get it fixed. So uh, basically he rang up our gaffer on Sunday and said, I'm not going to be able to make the game. And one could say that maybe our gaffer, Steve Ausham, he could have said, well, OK, don't make a difference because we were going to play tabletop in Geisley. Nobody expected us to get anything out of the game. Probably wouldn't play, so what does it matter? But... Steve and Mike, to the credit, said, well, no, it's best if you travel, keeps everybody happy, keeps everything going. And uh, so what they did, they enlisted our commercial manager to drive the 60 miles uh, each way trip to Boston to go and pick up Mike. And he then stayed over at uh, John Miskew's house and carried on and turned up for the team the next day. The fortuitous circumstances were that... uh, Unfortunately, um, our first choice goalkeeper, Jan Butz, had to fly out to Denmark because his mother was seriously ill. And he flew out on Sunday night. And basically the team, um, nobody knew this until we all boarded the coach on Monday morning to travel over. So if it wasn't for John going down to Boston uh, under his own team to go and pick him up and offer him a bed for the night, uh, then uh, we wouldn't have actually had a goalkeeper uh, to go. So, to boot, uh, Mike had an absolute stormer of a game. Uh, Trinity won 3 1, which is only the fourth time in our history that we've beaten Geisley. Uh, all, all perversely, all, all con- coincidentally, by 3 1 scorelines when we've beaten them away. Um, and so, yeah, it was. Uh, everybody was very relieved, and Mike had a really good time um, playing in goal. He got Kicked a few times, got a shoulder, kicked out of place a little bit, but uh, put it all back every, all back together. And he played, uh, due to his performance, he also played at the weekend and kept a clean sheet as well. So it's uh, been all good for us. One, one man's misfortune is, a, is another man's opportunity, I think is the, uh, is the key to that. It was, definitely, because uh, Mike's been with us. He was there last season. He'd been with us before as well. And so it's really good to see him being able to get on and get a bit of a start. Um, John, had it happened this weekend, it would have been a different matter because uh, the same John Miskew has just done the coast-to-coast. He set off uh, on on Saturday morning from Morecambe and with a team of about five or six of them cycled to uh, Bridlington by the end of Sunday night. 
um, in aid of our, one of our local hospices, the St Barnabas uh, Hospice. So uh, it had been this weekend, everything could have been completely different. Mm. Good stuff, good stuff. Two and finalists this week then. Yes, that makes a difference. I would like to thank everybody for listening. Thank you very much to you guys. You can find me around on the internet uh, at Quiston if you want to follow me, but uh, at Pod uh, is if you want to get hold of the show. And James, um, what games are you off to this week? Because we're recording on Monday. Uh, have you got any midweeks down in the Hell Edit League this week? Um, there's none that I'm able to get to because of uh, early start the next day. Unfortunately, Bracknell and Binfield are are not in action uh, Hampton are playing at Harrow Borough but uh, my wife is working so I will be babysitting the uh, thing one and thing two um, and Saturday's wedding anniversary so it's looking very football like this week I might be able to make a Hellenic game on Saturday possibly possibly maybe not <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't push your luck James really I would not be wedding anniversary <laughs> well as far as I'm concerned I shall, I shall be with uh, the Hampton Borough tomorrow night against Harrow Borough um, that should be an interesting game it's quite actually close um, to my home so it uh, means I'll get and get home reasonably early instead of the 11 o'clock and midnight that I usually do after a Tuesday night game and then um, on Saturday we've got a very could it be non-league day um, we've been drawn to play at Dulwich and Dulwich are doing um, a whole raft of events and they're also doing a pay what you want um, on the gate scheme this this week, so it's going to be interesting to see how much people think that going to Dulwich is actually worth. Um, it's a good job they don't do collections or uh, collect the money after the game. It might be a whole different story, but uh, yeah. So I'll be at all of those games, and um, with a bit of luck, Hampton can continue their small upturning fortune from the week from the weekend. No, that's really good. Uh, I'm. For non-league day, uh, we're making the uh, trek over to Colin Bay, who I believe are doing Kids Go Free, uh, which is really cool. Um, and then on Sunday, I believe we're going to see a charity football event at Manchester, um, because uh, one of our relatives is playing for a little bit. Um, and But other than that, I've been searching around uh, Solly Hall, where I am this week, to see if there's anything going on in the night but unfortunately I'm a week early because the Conference North it's next week when we've got some midweek games coming up um, so I'm not really doing a lot else other than that uh, Are you? I, I take it you're away then uh, Rob yeah both matches uh, this week are away which rather pleases me it gives me a break from having to peer at the computer screen for hours trying to put together the match programme so I'm just having a few days off <laughs> You mean you mean the future the future award winning match match day program? Well, people have if said nice ever... things about it, and the fact that the last two games we've sold out. Well, that could be just because you didn't order enough. <laughs> well, well, you can only go by what you think the crowd will be, and when you're Absolutely. playing um, teams that we were playing, you don't expect big crowds. So, no, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's a good it's a good product, and uh, yeah, like Rob says, it's getting favourable feedback. Can't say fairer than that, really. Um, I would like to thank everyone for listening once again. And uh, if you want to follow the show, it's at Non Lead Pod. If you want to uh, follow uh, 
Libster uh, Clark. She's the one who puts together our hat trick watch. Let her know, uh, give her a tweet, let her help out if you've got anything you want to say. But whatever you've been doing, I uh, really thank you for listening. <laughs>